Broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University, it's 88.7 WLUW, Chicago Sound Alliance. Thank you for joining me every Sunday morning at 11 here on 88.7 FM WLUW. Got an hour uninterrupted of your favorite small town kid. Go to the Loyola Phoenix, Nick Schultz. I know Sister Jean pretty well. I think he's the sports editor. There. He is. Right. He's a sports he's editor. Yeah. Sports good, columnist, sports writer. And, uh, and there's a, there's... I'd be lying if I said I wasn't watching baseball in class. Nick Schultz, who is a, a rising star in the profession. Our guy, Nick Schultz, covers oil for the student newspaper there, the Loyola Phoenix. I have to keep pinching myself <laughs> and asking if this is real. I cannot believe this is happening. I'm a poor, starving college student, so I would say I was physically here, but I wouldn't say I was mentally here. Happy Sunday, everybody. Welcome into the Sunday Sports Shootout here on WLUW 88.7 FM. I'm your host, Nick Schultz. It's great to be back on the airwaves. Had to miss last week due to some technical issues on my end. Pretty sure it might have been operator error. But nonetheless, we are back in full force this week. And boy, do we have a lot to get to. As I said in my tweet, teasing the show, Blackhawks. Um, Okay. Blackhawks made a deal. And I don't know how I feel about it, so I'm going to kind of talk it out live on the air here, because there's a lot to process there. So we'll talk all about that. Also, the Bears made a trade. Trade deadline's coming up this week for baseball. What are the Cubs and White Sox going to do? And Team USA in basketball today lost to France this morning. So we're going to talk about that, how Zach Levine did, and so much more. Please feel free to chime in on my Twitter at NickSchultz underscore 7. Tweet me, DM me, beat me if you want to reach me, whatever you have to do. Slide in and get in on the conversation. But we're going to start with the Blackhawks. So there's also a plethora of things we could talk about with the Chicago Blackhawks. On the ice, off the ice. Obviously the lawsuit is still out there involving Bradley Aldridge, the former video coach. And I don't want to get too in the weeds of that, just because, again, I'm not really... How do I, how do I put this? I, my boots aren't on the ground, I guess is the best way to put it, in that I'm not reporting on this every day. As it moves further along, I might call another Blackhawks reporter, someone who's been covering this story, talk about that. But as someone who only does a show once a week and doesn't really talk about the Blackhawks that much. I won't really go into that side of it. We could, but I don't know if I want to. Just with the nature of the lawsuit, everything involving that, just want to make sure I have all my I's dotted and T's crossed before I dive into that on the air. However, on the ice, let's talk about Seth Jones. This was unfolding throughout the week. The Blackhawks had been connected to Seth Jones for a little while. He played for the Columbus Blue Jackets. He's a defenseman. And his brother Caleb was in the trade 
that involved Duncan Keith. So Duncan Keith went to Edmonton, remember, and the Blackhawks in return got Caleb Jones. So then the rumors started circulating about Seth Jones coming to the Blackhawks. And the other day on draft day, it happened. Seth Jones came to the Blackhawks for Adam Boquist. Yes, Adam Boquist is gone. And two first-round picks, including this year's first-round pick. And the Blackhawks also got a first-round pick back from Columbus. Okay? On the surface there, as I stopped there, I don't think that's a bad trade. If it stopped right there, I wouldn't be complaining. I'd be saying, okay, the Blackhawks got their defenseman. Let's see what he can do. No. Because it's Stan Bowman. He had to go and sign this guy to an eight-year, $76 million contract. Let me read that number again. Eight years, $76 million. He is now the third highest paid defenseman in the NHL. And this isn't to say it might not be worth it down the road. I mean, this guy, he's 26 right now, I think. And three years ago when he was, he's either 26 or 27. Because three years ago when he was 24, he finished fourth in the Norris Trophy voting. But last year, five goals and 23 assists. Now, I know he's a defenseman. Those numbers are not, you know, supposed to be Patrick Kane level. But still, five goals and 23 assists. He had a bad year all around last year, and it's well known. Ben Pope, friend of the show, been on the show, wrote in the Chicago Sun-Times, that this contract that Seth Jones got from the Blackhawks is very, very similar to the Brent Seabrook contract. Now think back, Brent Seabrook had an insane deal. And it ended up being worth it. I mean, you look at what he did from 2007 to 2015. You're talking all-time Blackhawk seasons. But in 2016, remember, Seabrook signed that contract. And he wasn't the same player. Injuries and production and everything. And this is from Ben Pope at the Sun-Times. Quote, his, talking about Jones, massive contract, which will make him the NHL's third highest paid defenseman in 2022-23, is similarly structured to the one Brent Seabrook signed in 2016, with so much of its value loaded into annual signing bonuses that a buyout never will be viable. That is an important line. Because say this guy, Seth Jones, comes to Chicago and continues to play like he did last year in Columbus. And it's bad. Giving him eight years and $76 million, you can't buy him out. And I don't see a very high chance of you being able to move that contract. That is an insane contract. I was texting one of my buddies during that day. Actually, this is the friend of the show, the Bishop Emeritus of Blurs himself, Jonah Blatt. He and I were talking on draft day about this deal. And as it was unfolding, we were talking about how the Blackhawks are going to overpay. How they're going to find ways to overpay. I joked. Now keep in mind, I joked that Stan was going to have his dad, Scotty Bowman, convince Rocky Wirtz to sell the team to get this guy. 
I was kidding. I did not expect a $76 million deal over eight years. He doesn't have the name recognition of, like, the casual hockey fan. I mean, that was a what, that was Ben's lead in the story, actually. He, he wrote, uh, The early afternoon sun baked defenseman Seth Jones as he sat atop a tour boat Saturday, cruising east on the Chicago River. Yes, this press conference yesterday with Seth Jones was on a boat. And he continues, His casual black t-shirt, athletic shorts, belied the fact he had agreed less than 24 hours earlier to an eight-year, $76 million contract, one that presumably will make him a staple of the Blackhawks for almost a decade to come. Here's, here's the line I'm talking about. Passers-by on other boats weighed because of drunkenness, not because they appeared to recognize Chicago's newest big-name athlete. Now, because I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a hockey guy, but I'm not, like, a die-hard hockey head. I don't know all the players... The NHL draft is the one I watched the least. And when I say the least, I mean I don't watch a minute of it. The MLB draft is close because I watch who the first few picks are and then tune out. But I don't... I'm not as into the NHL as I am, say, the NBA and the MLB. Or the NFL. I'd heard the name Seth Jones before. because I mean, like I said, he finished fourth in the Norris Trophy voting a few years ago. You're going to know the name. But I didn't know what he looked like until I saw Ben's story in the, in the picture. I just knew the name. That's why I heard the name like all the, everybody's getting excited. Oh, the idea of Seth Jones coming to the Blackhawks. I'm sitting here going, I think I know that name. And then Stan goes out there and gives him this big contract. I say again, I was kidding when I brought up the idea of Stan getting Scotty to convince Rocky Worst to sell the team to get this guy. I didn't think they'd actually come close to doing it. Now, I'm over-exaggerating, obviously. I mean, $76 million over eight years, that's a little north of nine mil a year. I'm exaggerating. My point is, and this is why I was not at all in favor of Stan Bowman getting the promotion he got, Stan likes to overpay. See Brent Seabrook. The contract was horrendous. And you go back to, and it, it kills me to talk about these contracts. Look at Taves, Kane, Keith, even Crawford to a point. The contracts he gave out, they didn't have the ability to move them. They had no movement clauses. And they were almost impossible to buy out. I'll say one thing about old Stan. When he sees a player he likes, he does whatever he can to make it work. And he did whatever he could here, trading Adam Boquist, two first-round picks, to get Seth Jones and a first-round pick, reunite him with his brother Caleb, and give him nine and a half mil a year. Congratulations, Stan. You got your guy. Can we call this the first big move of Stan's tenure as, what is he now, president of hockey operations? Is this the first big move? I think so. Because now, 
It's about how does this play out? I hope it plays out better than my gambling habits. Because your boy is on a cold streak. Stan Bowman could find a diamond in the rough here, essentially. And when I say a diamond in the rough, obviously, it's Seth Jones. It's not like you're picking up some guy who's built and looks like he could play defenseman in the NHL and signing him to this contract. No, this is Seth Jones. He's a talented player. There's talent there. I don't know if there's that much talent. I don't know if there's $75 million worth of talent there. It's going to be one of those wait-and-see situations. This is Chicago. We are known to, oh, well, this he had a bad year last year. He's not going to be good again. What are you doing? Like, I know, I know. I'm, try, I'm trying to keep a level head about this. And I even put on Twitter that I saw the Blackhawks are getting Seth Jones. I, I tweeted, I want to see what they gave up before I react. My fear was Kirby Doc. Kirby Doc is staying, which is good. If I had to choose between Boquist and Doc, I'm taking Kirby. And then all the other news came in about the extension that was coming and the money the Blackhawks were spending. And that's when you saw me tweet, I want to be excited about this. I do. But, and it's the gif of Luke Skywalker in Star Wars going, I have a very bad feeling about this. That is a lot of money to put on a guy who had a year like he did last year. Speaking of the Bishop Emeritus of Blurs, Jonah Blatt chimes in, I give it three to four years before the Jones contract becomes an albatross, and that's assuming he rebounds from a down 2021. He's got to rebound from this year, or else I don't know what Blackhawks fans are going to do. I have been... Very critical of Stan Bowman on these airwaves. I will continue to be until he proves me wrong. So far, he has not proven me wrong. This better work. I've been saying that so much in the last year in Chicago sports. Keeping Nagy in pace for the Bears. This better work. Hiring Tony LaRussa as White Sox manager. This better work. More on that in a second. Signing Seth Jones to this contract, this better work. I should get that on a t-shirt. But man, like I said, like I tweeted, I, I mean this. I really want to be excited about this guy. About this trade, about this deal. I just can't. If it was... If it was Dale Talon... Signing this contract, I'd feel a little better. But I know Stan Bowman's track record, and that scares me. It better work. I will gladly eat my words. I will happily be wrong about this. I will be the happiest person in the world if I can come on these airwaves and say, okay, Seth Jones worked out because he's the best player on the Blackhawks, one of the best players in the league, and he's leading the Blackhawks to the playoffs. I will gladly come out here and say that. I don't know if you'd ever hear me be happier to be wrong. But right now, July 25th at 11.17 in the morning, on these airwaves, I'm very skeptical. 
And it's nothing against Seth Jones. I said it before, I'll say it again. I think he's a solid player. I think he's a good piece to build around. But when you're rebuilding, and this goes for any sport, hockey, baseball, basketball, even football, when you're rebuilding, I don't think it's smart to spend that kind of money. Especially on a guy who had an all-around bad year last year. I mean, it was bad. Could that be the situation in Columbus? Because Jones did request a trade. It could have been the situation. Maybe a change of scenery, playing for a new coach, a coach who doesn't seem to show any emotion whatsoever, mind you. Maybe that'll help. Maybe it just needs a change of scenery, playing with his brother again. We'll see. I don't know. It's a deal to try and get Taves and Kane another ring. That's from Jonah. Now, Jonah, I, you, br- you bring up a point that I want to bounce off of here. I love Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane. I do. They are the reason I'm a hockey fan. I became a hockey fan in 2009. I was there before the Stanley Cup. That was when I started getting into hockey. The first game I watched was the Winter Classic. I love those guys. They're not getting another ring. I mean, this roster makeup. Young guys. Kirby Doc, in particular. I was, and Adam Boquist is now gone. I don't know what the goalie situation is, though. You've got those guys. Now you've got Seth Jones in this mix. And then you've got Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane. No more Duncan Keith. No more Brent Seabrook. I don't think this roster is built for another ring. Unless you bring in, like, Connor McDavid, but that ain't happening. If this deal is what you said, if it's to get Taze and Kane another ring, we've got a whole different conversation here. Because like I said earlier, I am not the biggest hockey head around. I don't... I can't tell you the ins and outs of how to play hockey. But I'd like to think I can tell you how to run a team. And with this roster you've got now, you are not built to win a ring. I mean... I just don't know what else there is to say here. I mean, these names. I'm a big Alex Dabrinkit fan. Don't get me wrong. Like, I love Alex Dabrinkit, what he brings. I think Kevin Lankinen has a future as a goalie if he develops well. Nikita Zadorov's a solid defenseman. Dylan Strom, I like. I don't love, but I like. It's just not built for a ring. I mean, I'm going to read you a few more names from this roster. Here are just the big names. 
Brian Carpenter, Kirby Doc, Alex DeBrinkett, Kevin DeHaan, Brandon Hagel, Vinny Hedestroza, Caleb and Seth Jones now, David Kampf, Patrick Kane, Dominic Kubalik, Kevin Lankinen, Connor Murphy, Dylan Strom, Pia Suter, Malcolm Subban, and Nikita Zordorov. Okay. Now, let's compare to 2010. Actually, no, we'll go to, we'll go to 2009. Let's go to 2009. This is the year before the Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup. Listen to these names. Brian Bickle, David Boland, Troy Brower, Dustin Bufflin, Brian Campbell, Corey Crawford, Nicholas Jalmerson, Marion Hossa, Patrick Kane, Duncan Keith, Andrew Ladd, Antti Niemi, Brent Seabrook, Patrick Sharp, Brent Sopel, Jonathan Taves, Christopher Stieg. You recognize all those names. Because they were all impact players. Actually, that's the 2009-2010 roster. Hockey reference got me wrong. I was like, Mary Hosa wasn't on the team then. But either way, the big addition was Hosa, and that's when you knew the Blackhawks were contenders when they got Marion Hosa. Yeah, here's the 2009 roster. This is better. This will make my point. Let's start over. Bolin, Brower, Bufflin, Campbell, Crawford, Jalmerson, Kane, Keith, Nikolai Kavibulin. I just love saying his name. Andrew Ladd, Antti Niemi, Brent Seabrook, Patrick Sharp, Brent Sopel, Jonathan Tage, Christopher Stieg. I do not think this year's roster compares to that roster. And also, you had Joel Quinville on the bench after Dennis Savard got fired. Savvy that year, 1-2-1. Quenville, after he took over, 45-22-11. I want to like Jeremy Colleton, what he did at Rockford, the development, whatever. I honestly don't think he shows enough emotion to be an NHL coach. And even listen to him in the press conferences. He's like, well, we went out there. We, we, we didn't play well today and get back out there tomorrow and go, go on the ice. He reminds me of... I love that I can tie in these references on this show. When you're watching the West Wing and they're interviewing press secretary candidates and you have the one guy come in and he mumbles and you can't hear him. That's Jeremy Colleton to me. You never see him get animated on the bench. Quinville, you knew where he stood. Because you could tell during the games. Colleton, you just, he stands there just stoic. And I just show some emotion. I don't know. That's nitpicky. But he was not my choice to replace Joe Quinville. If I had my way, Quinville wouldn't have gotten fired. But again, what do I know? Let's move on to baseball. And I would say we're moving on to brighter topics with baseball, but really not, because I'm talking Cubs. I was just talking to my brother yesterday. And 
we were at dinner, he and I were talking, and I just, this is the most apathetic I've been about the Cubs in a long time. I don't watch the Marquee Network, full disclosure. They're bad. I mean, that's the best way to put it. They are bad. They're getting ready to sell the whole team, it seems like. I'm surprised Chris Bryant's still there. But yeah, I, I hardly watch the games unless I'm at work. Jeff Passan at ESPN wrote this week that Chris Bryant is, quote, good is gone. I think I used similar verbiage a few weeks ago when I went through who's going to stay, who's going to go at the trade deadline. I'm pretty sure I used almost those exact words. He won't be there by the, the next time we do a show, which is supposed to be next week. Chris Bryant will not be on the Cubs. I'm not sure if if Craig Kimbrell is going to be on the Cubs. If Javi Baez will be. If Ian Happ will be. And when I say that, I mean he might be in AAA. If Kyle Hendricks will be. Zach Davies. Wilson Contreras. I don't know what this Cubs team is going to look like in a week. And I have my Twitter open during the show just in case anything happens. But we're on hug watch now. Anytime somebody gets pulled from a game, you got to watch for hugs. Because that means probably that somebody's been traded. Jack Peterson was the first domino to fall, getting traded to Atlanta for Atlanta's number 12 prospect. And I made. I was at work when I found that out, and I told somebody that Jack Peterson got traded, and that was for Atlanta's number 12 prospect, and they heard me wrong. They're like, the number 12 prospect in baseball? I'm like, no, Atlanta's number 12 prospect. Bryce Ball. So that was the first domino to fall. There's more coming. I don't know who. I don't know when. But when I come on the air next time, this is going to look like a completely different Cubs team. It's already starting to look like a different team because David Bodie got activated off the IL today just before we came on the air, about 10 minutes before I started the show. David Bodie got activated from the IL, and he is in the lineup today. That's huge. Um, Eric Sogard is designated for assignment. It's about damn time. I'd have done that a month ago. Even though he's the most reliable, well, was. He was the most reliable reliever in the bullpen, it seemed like. So Eric Sogard is gone. Thank you. You heard what I think about who's staying and who's going a couple weeks ago. If you missed it, go check the pod, Apple, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. But yeah, I I don't know what I don't know what else to say about this about the Cubs. Because like I said, I just the Cubs are playing tonight. I used to be I used to like plan my day around the Cubs games. And now here I am going, oh, I'll watch uh, whatever movie's on or a Marvel movie that's on Disney Plus or something. I'll hardly watch the games. I get the alerts. I see the highlights on Twitter. But I... I just don't watch the games. Mainly because it's, it's kind of a hassle for me to get the marquee network. That's part of the reason I don't watch it at home. 
but yeah, they're not good. They're bad. And I know in St. Louis, they pulled off that comeback to beat the Cardinals at Bush Stadium last week. Well, it was more St. Louis's mistakes. Yeah, St. Louis didn't do themselves any favors. So I wouldn't say that that was the Cubs being good. I think it was the Cardinals being bad. It always feels good to beat the Cardinals. But you got to think realistically here. I don't have any playoff expectations for this team at all. Because as I look at the MLB standings, in the National League Central right now, before games start today, the Cubs are 10 games back of Milwaukee. That is good for fourth place. One game back of the Cardinals. Milwaukee is 58 and 41. Cincinnati is in second, six and a half games back at 51 and 47. Cubs are also nine games back in the wild card. And Pittsburgh is just there saying, oh, we're happy to be in the NL Central. Look, I made this comment before the year. Nobody's going to win the National League Central. Someone's going to happen to come in first. I think that's just the best way to put it. Someone's going to happen to come in first in that division. It won't be Pittsburgh. As we hit the bottom of the hour, I do want to remind you that you're listening to the Sunday Sports Shootout on WLUW 88.7 FM. I am your host, Nick Schultz. If you want to chime in, please slide into my Twitter DMs or tweet me at NickSchultz underscore 7. We're having quite the conversation here. We're done talking about the Blackhawks. Now we're, we are moving on to somewhat brighter topics with the White Sox. And when I say somewhat, I mean I just got to talk about this. Tony LaRusso got ejected the other night. First time in about 10 years. And the best part about watching Tony LaRusso get ejected from games, you're not going to get Lou Pinella. And when I say that, or you're not going to get, you know, Buck Weaver or Billy Martin, you're going to get Tony LaRusso, who doesn't, he doesn't show a lot of his emotion, but you can read his lips. And when you read his lips, that's when you know, well, I can see what he got tossed for. So Tony got tossed. That was fun. And now, that, and he had a case too, by the way. Let's talk about that play at the play yesterday. If you missed it. Base is loaded. Larry Garcia is at the plate. He drops a perfect bunt. And I mean a perfect bunt down third baseline. Yoan Moncada is on third base. He runs home and at first he looks safe. But when he watched the replay, he didn't touch home plate. So then what happened was there were reviews. Two reviews came out of this. Number one, Milwaukee asked for a review if he touched home plate. Number two, the White Sox asked if that was reviewable. So that turned into a crew chief review, is how I read it. It ended up, Mokata was out. All that, Mokata was out. Now I tweeted this too. 
I'm an umpire. I umpire literally rec league baseball. You know, I do it to 12-year-olds to 15-year-olds, whatever. I'm an umpire. I've played baseball my whole life. Do you know what they teach you when you're umpiring behind home plate? Any play at the plate. Doesn't matter if there's a throw from left field, a grounder to short, a walk. Doesn't matter. Anytime somebody's coming home, you watch the plate. I do that every game I do, whether it be 10, 10 and under softball, whether it be Pony League baseball. You watch the plate. That umpire did not do his job yesterday. And it caused a lot of headache. Because if he'd have just called him out, or if Moncada would have just touched home plate, either one, all of that would have been avoided. But because the umpire was not doing his job and not watching the plate, it got weird. So I want to just get that off my chest. That, yeah, Moncada should have touched home plate. I felt like Crash Davis when I was watching the replay. He still ain't touched the plate. Because he didn't. But that umpire needs that he needs to be watching the plate. Now let's talk trade deadline for the White Sox. Aloy Jimenez is close to coming back to the point where I heard Bruce Levine on 670 The Score this morning say he wouldn't be surprised if Aloy's on the roster tomorrow. That's big. If the Sox can get Aloy back tomorrow, that's huge. You also have Luis Robert rehabbing. And he could be back soon. This team could start looking like the team we thought we'd see when spring training started. However, they still need a second baseman. Because Nick Madrigal is not coming back this year. So that's one need this week at the trade deadline. Get a second baseman. They also might need some pitching help. Might not be a bad idea. Maybe a reliever. I don't. They need a starter. I'm serious. They need a starter. You got. You got Rodon looked bad yesterday, but that that's going to happen in baseball. You got Rodon. You got Lynn. You got Giolito. I'm missing one. But you get my point. Do they need a starter? Cease. That's who I'm missing. I'm missing Dylan Cease. How could I miss Dylan Cease? I'm a Cubs fan. I don't know if they need a starter necessarily, but it definitely wouldn't be the worst idea I've ever heard. But definitely get a second baseman because Larry Garcia is just not it. I mean, he is, but he does the job. Oh, and Dallas Keuchel is also on the starting rotation. Can't forget him. So he's starting rotation is fine. Maybe a reliever or two. 
Uh, his money Grandal is going to be coming back soon. You don't necessarily need a catcher. Plus, I like Sebi Zavala as a backup to Zach Collins. Yeah, I think you could use second baseman and one or two pitchers. I don't think Rick Hahn's going to do anything seismic necessarily at the deadline. I don't think he's going to do anything that'll, you know, shake up the team at the deadline because the Sox aren't in position to do that. You know, I mean, they're still well in first place in the AL Central to the tune of nine games above the Cleveland Baseball Club, which is now becoming the Cleveland Guardians, which I'll talk about that in a second. They are 18 games over 500. And keep in mind, let me bring this up again. They're without their two best hitters in Jimenez and Robert. They're without their best contact hitter in Nick Madrigal. They haven't had the full roster all year, and they won't because Madrigal's not coming back. Yet they're still 18 games over 500. Mark my words. I've been saying it for a couple weeks now, and people have been rolling their eyes at me. Watch Tony La Russa win manager of the year. Either him or Alex Cora in Boston, but I'm not I'm not sure if Alex Cora would given everything with the sign stealing and whatnot. Watch Tony La Russa win manager of the year. Just saying. It's a little early to talk about it, but I don't know who else you can make a case for besides Alex Cora, but he won't get the votes. So we'll revisit that in a couple months as well. All right. Briefly, before I move on to football, Cleveland Guardians. I thought this was a joke at first. I really did. But it's a thing. The Cleveland Indians will become the Cleveland Guardians in 2022. And let me let me find the whole story on this. Basically, it has to do with the Cleveland Guardians of Traffic. And the story behind this is there's it's not, is it a major highway in Cleveland. It's an homage to, this is from Sports Illustrated, it's an homage to the Guardians of Traffic statues near Progressive Field, Jacobs Field, in Cleveland, located on the Hope Memorial Bridge. Cleveland owner Paul Dolan noted Friday he hopes the name Guardians helps, quote, unify our fans and city. Uh, here's more from SI. Guardians of Traffic statues have flanked both sides of the Hope Memorial Bridge since 1932. Each of the four winged art deco figures sports winged helmets and crowns, and each statue holds a different vehicle to signify, quote, the spirit of progress in transportation, unquote, per bridge engineer Wilbur Watson. Each Guardian stands 43 feet tall, and they remain the only public art deco monuments in Cleveland. So that's the reasoning for it. Now I'm stewing on this, and I'm thinking the Guardians... I don't know, there's a lot of jokes that I was pushing for the Spiders or the Cleveland Baseball Club. So I texted an expert. My old roommate is from Cleveland. 
and all I texted him was the Guardians. And he sent me a text back, long text, telling me, like, no one outside of Cleveland's going to get it, and that's okay. He likes it better than the Spiders. And it seems like the consensus is in Cleveland that they understand it. And there's a meaning to it. It's not like they just picked this out of nowhere. It reminds me, and it's kind of apples and oranges. I'll tell you why in a second. It's kind of reminding me of the New Orleans Pelicans. Now, I make the jokes about the Pelicans mascot all the time, but it has to do with Louisiana State Bird. So I get that. And now, and you read the story about why they're the Guardians, like, okay, that's kind of cool. It's not as cool as the Spiders. But, yeah, I, I like the story behind it. Oh, I'm still going to joke about it. Don't get, don't get me wrong, I'm still going to joke about it. But there's a reason for it. And, again, I texted an expert, and he didn't seem upset at all. So there's that. All right, let's talk some football, because we did get some football news yesterday. Ahead of training camp starting. I cannot believe it took this long for the Bears to get rid of Anthony Miller. He's traded to Houston. And I want to say it's just for a second-round draft pick or something. Again, I'm surprised it took this long. Because he got ejected from the playoff game. And George McCaskey went on the radio and did not sound like he was supportive of the idea of Anthony Miller coming back. And I figured he'd be gone by Christmas. By Christmas. It was in January, February. Figured he'd be gone by St. Patrick's Day. There we go. I don't even know. I don't even know what day of the week it is anymore. What the, what the date is. Obviously, it's Sunday. I'm on the air. I don't know what the date is today. I figured he'd be gone by St. Patrick's Day. But he's gone now, and Justin Fields and Allen Robinson could be turning into the best QB wide receiver duo in the division. Because Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers both posted a picture of the last dance. That's it. I don't know what's going on in Green Bay. I'm sitting here watching with a big thing of popcorn. I'm enjoying every minute of it. Yeah, training camp starts this week. Bears report Tuesday. First practice is Wednesday, close to the public. All signs point to Eddie Goldman reporting, which is good. And I'm very interested in what's going to happen this year. Do I think Justin Fields is going to start out of the gate? No. You've heard my reasoning why for that. But I think you're going to see a lot of him. And I think he's going to impress us. I wouldn't say the bar is high. And I had this conversation with one of my friends last night. Now He's, he's a Packer fan. And he, he likes getting me fired up by joking about the Bears. But this one, it, this one's worth talking about, surprisingly. He made the comparison of Justin Fields to Johnny Manziel. <laughs> I mean... Let's, let's think about this. Again, he was trying to get me fired up, and he succeeded. 
but to compare to Johnny Manziel. You can't compare the two. Did you see what Justin Fields did? Big Ten Championship game? I'm so excited about the kid. He is, it's so much different than the excitement around, I would say excitement. It's different than the vibe around Mitch Trubisky. Trubisky went to a Bulls game after he was drafted and got booed. Justin Fields went to a Cubs game, the first one at 100% capacity, got a standing ovation. Mitch Trubisky started not even a full year and was second overall. Justin Fields lit it up at Ohio State for a couple years and was taken 10th overall because he fell too far which I don't know why he fell that far in the draft. But another story, another time. Johnny Manziel won a Heisman his freshman year. And after that, it was kind of a meme. I think that's the best way to put it. Johnny Manziel was a meme. And the Browns picking him was a PR stunt, in my opinion. It's still, I still say that. Justin Fields is legit, and that's why I'm so excited. The first preseason game is August 14th against Miami at noon, and you can bet I will be watching that game wearing my Soldier Fields t-shirt, which just came in the mail the other day. And I can't wait. Got a DM here from Daryl Horowitz, former host of the show, listening from Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, Daryl says, if you think the Brewers aren't winning their division, you have to say the same for the Sox. Their records are almost the same. Milwaukee has three top starters, a great closer, and a really good manager. They deserve it, but both centrals stink. Now, I won't disagree with you on that one. The White Sox are 18 games over 500. The Brewers are 17. Here's the thing, Daryl. I say again. The White Sox are doing this without Aloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, and Nick Madrigal. All three of which, or all three of whom, I should say, are essential to their offense. The Brewers have been on the... They heated up big time after Christian Yelich came back. You can't tell me that the White Sox would be better than 18 games over 500 if Aloy and Luis Robert were in the lineup. That's the difference between the two. So I get what you're saying. But I think you've got to look at the hand that Tony LaRusso has been dealt versus the hand that Craig Council has been dealt. All right, briefly, we've got about 10 minutes left. we got some NBA stuff we can get to because the draft is coming up this week. But let's first talk about Team USA. Team USA played France this morning. And Team USA lost to France in pool play. 
had a bad second half. And they were doomed. So my buddy Chris Barks, he does the color analysis for Loyola on the radio. The is it the Loyola Ramblers network? Through Learfield? He posted about is Greg Popovich the guy? Is he the guy to coach this team? And I'm not sure he is. Darren Ravel posted odds earlier. I want to see if I can pull those up again. How far the odds changed for Team USA. This is to win gold per BetMGM. They opened at minus 1,000. After losing to Nigeria in exhibition, it was minus 800. After losing to Australia in exhibition, it's minus 600. So they're still favored, but after losing to France today in the first game of the Olympics, Team USA is minus 250 to win the gold medal. Next game, if you're curious, is Tuesday night. Be against Iran at 11:40 p.m. I'll be working that night. I might have to throw that on when I'm closing the bar down. I think that's gonna be make or break. And again, I'm not really—I I don't want to say I'm not into the Olympics, but I'll watch them and I care about them a little bit. It'd be make or break. Tuesday night. And I say Tuesday night. If you're on the East Coast, it's Wednesday morning. Because the game tips off at 11.40 p.m. Central, so it's 12.40 a.m. Wednesday morning on the East Coast. It was so weird when I was getting notes together for the Believe in Bulls podcast this week. Shameless plug, go check that out. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts. Anyway, when I was getting notes together and put the Team USA schedule in my notes, I originally wrote Wednesday at 11.40. No, it's Tuesday at 11.40. So just a programming note, I guess, if you want to watch Team USA play Olympic basketball. Zach Levine today started 8 points, 3 assists. Again, next game's Tuesday. And it's good to see Zach on the court for Team USA if you missed this whole saga last week. I ran you through this on the Bulls podcast too. But let's take you back to April. Zach tests positive for COVID. Misses 11 games. Come back. Bulls missed the playoffs, okay? We remember that. Monday, I think. Last week, uh, Zach went into health and safety protocols for Team USA. Couldn't travel to Tokyo right away. And we're all wondering, oh man, he's just unlucky. Joe Cowley called me unluckiest bull ever, which I agree with. I call it Zach's COVID adventure. Goes into health and safety protocols on Monday. By Wednesday, he's on a plane to Tokyo. He's cleared. Bradley Beal is out due to COVID. 
And Zach Levine is there. It's good. I'm happy that Zach is there because this was an incredible opportunity, not just to play ball on the world stage, but also to recruit a little bit. Tell these guys, hey, Arturis Karashovas is a great executive. So is Mark Eversley. Chicago's a fun place to play. I think that's a huge part of playing for Team USA. So yeah, good to see Zach out there again. Eight points, three assists today against France. Next game Tuesday against Iran. Briefly. NBA draft is coming up Thursday, 7 o'clock, ABC, ESPN. The Pistons had the first overall pick. And the bold prediction from the resident Pistons fan himself, Jonah Blatt, is... Four days until Cade Cunningham becomes a Piston. That's a real hot take. Cade Cunningham going first overall to Detroit. And I still stand by it, Jonah. I told you this before. Cade Cunningham has even been drafted by the Pistons. He's already a more likable Piston than Isaiah Thomas and Bill Lambeer put together. The Pistons are selecting first. The Bulls have a second rounder. I still say they're going to end up in the first round some way, shape, or form. Whether it be trading that second round pick, which I hope they don't. Whether it be by doing that, whether it be trading one of these players that's trade bait, look, i.e. Tomas Sadaransky, Thaddeus Young. I think they're going to end up in the first round. They're talking to some first round picks. A couple weeks ago it was reported they talked to Scotty Barnes. Hello, they talked to Scotty Barnes. And Io DeSumo. So they're doing their due diligence. And Thursday is going to be interesting. But my bold prediction is the Bulls will end up in the first round somehow. Uh, Jonah chimes in after my Isaiah and Lambeer quip. Not my fault, MJ's a crybaby. I'm not even going to respond to that one. Uh, Daryl, USA needed Trey. They don't have a real point guard. It's so important. It's why the Bulls weren't better than they were. Yeah, can we please... Talk about that before we wrap up. Why wasn't Trey Young on Team USA? I mean, really, why wasn't Trey Young out there? It just blows my mind that he wasn't selected. Because, I'll be honest, and I Bill remembers having these conversations because that was when I started doing the show. I wasn't sure how Trey's game would translate to the NBA. I was wrong about that. He's one of my favorite players to watch in the NBA. Granted, they're cracking down on the, what is it, the non-basketball move leading into fouls. They're cracking down on that, so I think that's going to change things a little bit. But I love watching Trey Young play basketball, so I'll gladly be wrong about that. Lucky for me, there's no archive of it, at least that I know of. There's no archive of me saying that take live. Just really happy about that. But anyway, Trey Young needed to be on Team USA, and I saw he... Speaking of Isaiah Thomas, he posted the video of Isaiah in The Last Dance talking about, I met the criteria, and he wasn't selected and whatever. It, it was funny. But yeah, they could use Trey Young out there. And I know that's a real hot take. It's a scorching hot take. But yeah, I, I agree. I would have liked to see Trey Young out there as well. So, NBA Draft coming up Thursday, 7 o'clock, 
if the Bulls make it, if they make their way into the first round, um, you can call me and tell me I was right. Because I've been saying that on the podcast since the lottery. You can go check it out. Yeah, I'm going to be working that night, and it's going to be fun. Just because I love the NBA draft. It's just two rounds. And I might also be working my phones to see if any Illinois, not even, like, not University of Illinois, any college athletes at an Illinois college get selected or sign as undrafted free agents. So stay tuned for that as well. Yeah, that's Thursday night. Team USA plays Tuesday again. The Cubs play today. The Sox play today. There's a lot going on. Uh, Daryl, uh, Trey doesn't need those fouls he draws. He takes advantage of what is available. He's a smart player. Oh, yeah, I know. I'm, not, I'm saying he doesn't need those fouls he draws, but it, might, it just might impact how he plays his game. I mean, that's a big part of his game is drawing those fouls. Like, and I, I, I shouldn't say a big part, but when you watch him play, it's the thing you notice besides the passes and the amount of shots he takes. You notice how he draws fouls. And I'm just saying, it might change how he plays a little bit. Either way, we agree, which is weird that we agree, that Trey Young should have been on Team USA. And Evan Fournier, I saw a quote before coming on the air, brought up a good point that Team USA is better individually. They have the better, they have the better individual players, but they're beatable as a team. I don't watch them close. I don't watch the Olympics very close. I just keep an eye on them here and there. Like, oh, the Olympics are on. What's going on? My favorite is actually in the Winter Olympics. I'll watch curling, but that's not till next year. Yeah, that's going on. Again, good for Zach Levine. We'll see what happens Thursday in the draft. We'll see what happens with the Cubs and the White Sox this week. It is a big week in Chicago sports coming up. Training camp, NBA draft, MLB trade deadline, and we'll see who the Blackhawks are going to overpay for this time around if they make any deals this week as well. I'm sure Stan will find a way to sell off half the team or something. So I'm out of time. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Great to be back on the airwaves this week. Everybody stay safe, stay healthy, get the vaccine when you can. I will talk to you hopefully back here next week on the Sunday Sports Shootout on WLUW 88.7 FM. Have an awesome week, everybody.